If you weren't with us last week, online or in person, we're just in the middle now of a short three-week series where we're talking about who we are as a church. We say so often every Sunday that we're a church that's following Jesus and loving the city and serving the world. So we think that that bears some definition and that we should pay some attention to what we mean by that. Last week, we read the story about some hard teaching which Jesus offered to his disciples and how so many of the disciples which had followed Jesus faithfully until that time, they left. But the 12 disciples, they stayed, and they stayed because Peter said they had come to believe and to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And so we said that we want to be those kinds of followers who stick it out through the hard teachings and the weird Christian-y things, who can admit that we're not perfect as we try to follow Jesus, but that doesn't make our pursuit of him any less serious. It doesn't make our pursuit of his life any less important. We follow because we too have come to believe and to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. So that's what we mean when we say that we're a church that's following Jesus. This week we'll talk about that second phrase, that we're a church that's loving the city. It's no mistake that loving the city comes after following Jesus, not only because following Jesus is our primary focus, but also because our love for the city is found in and defined by a life of following Jesus together. We love the city because we follow Jesus. And Jesus, he loved the city in the place where he was during his earthly ministry, and we believe that he still loves cities to this day. Jesus' life and ministry, it was on this trajectory toward a city. For him, it was the city of Jerusalem. He spent some time in and around Jerusalem, but mostly he was out in the country, out in smaller towns and villages, with folk who only made it into the city for special occasions. Jesus, you might say, spent a lot of time in Aurora, in Mississauga, in Markham, and in Brampton, more than he did in Toronto. But he was making his way toward the Toronto of that time and place, toward Jerusalem, the big city. And as he comes to Jerusalem, in some of the Gospels, he says this really quite remarkable thing. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus cares for this city of Jerusalem. The city, which is more than just brick and stone. He cares for the children of Jerusalem, its many inhabitants. He cares for the lives of the people there, that they should be safe, that they should be loved. Jesus cares for Toronto too, more than skyscrapers and streetcar tracks, more than just traffic jams and protests. Jesus cares for the city, the people who call this place home. In fact, God has always loved and cared for cities in a particular way. 
I've shared this before, but I think we so often fool ourselves into believing that the Garden of Eden, where creation started, that this was the pinnacle of God's story. But that just isn't so. The arc of Scripture begins in a garden, certainly, but its movement is toward a city, a city that has a garden at its center, the new Jerusalem. And God's love, it isn't just for Jerusalem. You've heard Jerusalem a few times, so you might think that this is a special city that God loves especially deeply or perhaps over and above every other city. But really, God loves all cities. In the story of Jonah, who you might remember had an unfortunate run-in with a large fish, after he finally did what God had sent him to do, after he went and he preached to that city of Nineveh, which was a violent and evil city in this day, that city repented. And then Jonah, he got mad at God. This is what Jonah said. He said, I knew, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, maybe this doesn't sound like he's angry at God, but he is angry at God. It sounds like good news to us, but Jonah was hoping for some destruction. He was hoping for some fire from heaven. He is upset that God is kind and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And God's response to Jonah is a simple declaration of his concern for this city. Even though it's full of people who had hurt the nation of Israel, God says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Telling the right hand from the left, this is an image of knowing right from wrong. God's concern that there's a city full of people who didn't know any better. God loves the great city of Nineveh, too. So why is it that God loves cities? Why? Some of us might come from small towns, from country places. Maybe we love the country. It's full of nature. God loves it, too. But why cities? Why this special affection for these places? The American pastor and theologian Tim Keller considers God's love for cities by writing, cities have more of the image of God per square inch than any other place on earth. All people, every single person was made in the image of God. And cities, they're full to the brim with people, all of whom reflect God's image. Surely God loves these places where God's own image shines so beautifully forth. Surely if Jesus cared for the children of Jerusalem, even though Jerusalem killed the prophets, and if God had concern for the city of Nineveh, even though it had waged war against his people, then so too we must be able to say that God cares for and loves this city of Toronto. And we do too. Today's scripture reading was from the book of Zechariah, and it paints this picture of the deep love that God has for the city of Jerusalem. And more than that, it gives us an image of what God desires for that city, because when we love somebody or something, we desire the best for it. And so God's love for Jerusalem is shown by his desire for the best for this city. So what does God think is the best for Jerusalem? Well, we hear this promise of God. 
And in this promise, we also hear what we should be looking for, what we should be anticipating, what we should be celebrating, even in this city where we live and all the places where we live until God makes all things whole. So how does God begin? He says, I am jealous for Zion. God isn't apathetic toward this place, which may have honestly been a surprise to the listeners because generations had just been spent in exiles far away from the city of Jerusalem in Babylon. And in that time, Jerusalem had fallen, the temple had been destroyed, and people were finally coming back to a city that didn't look anything like what they heard stories about, that maybe didn't look anything like what they could remember from their own childhood. Maybe they thought that God had abandoned them. Maybe they thought that God had given up on the city, that he wasn't interested in its protection or care. But this is the furthest thing from the truth. God cares enough to be jealous for this city, to, to desire to be at home in Jerusalem with God's people again. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. God's saying, I'm moving back with you. You're not returning to this city alone. God says he is now returning to places that seem as if they'd never known God at all. The places of brokenness, the ruins of previous generations, these things will be rebuilt and restored. God will bless the city and cause it to flourish for all who live there. Zechariah writes, once more, men and women of ripe old age will sit on the streets in Jerusalem, each of them with a cane in hand because of their age, and the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. What does God think a good and prosperous city looks like? Well, here we see it's intergenerational. Old and young, they're brought together. The young and the old, they're usually the most vulnerable, the most impacted by change. It's the young and the old who are most affected by this challenge of returning to Jerusalem from the exile. And for those of us who are listening to this passage again today, we've recently been reminded that it's the old and the young that are most affected by all sorts of things. This pandemic has reminded us of this truth, where so many elderly have died in long-term care facilities, not walking about safely with their canes. And so many children have lived in isolation from friends and extended family, confused by a sudden change or not even realizing that the life they now know is not normal is not what their parents would choose for them. They are not playing safely in city streets either. And here we see a vision of God's care for the city, such that it's a place where the elderly aren't a burden, but they're a gift to have sitting in the streets and the squares, moving around safely, well cared for, and where children are important, and they're not just important because they're going to grow up to be teachers and doctors and engineers, but they're important because they're children and they're playing. This is their value to the city that they would play in the streets. God is providing such a hopeful and loving vision of a city that's full of vibrancy and life for people who haven't seen that in a really long time. Maybe that feels familiar to you this morning. 
Imagine the places that you know in this city or the places that you call home. And imagine what they look like when everything's all right, when everything is as it should be in the best of times. I can picture the food trucks, the many, many food trucks that line up along St. George and the hordes of students that surround them at lunchtime. I can imagine the hustle of people on the path downtown. I can imagine this sanctuary, not with each family isolated from another, but with young and old sitting together, with church aunties loving kids that they get to see each week, sometimes more than once a week, and life and joy bubbling over. This isn't what we know right now in our church or in the city, but this is God's vision for flourishing life. Those things, those things that you've been missing for so long, that's what God is promising to these people. That's what God is promising to us. God is promising that the city where he resides will be a good place for the aged and a good place for children. And because we see these two extremes, the the author's trying to help us imagine that it's good for everybody in between too. That if old and young both find safety and joy here, then those of us who are maybe in the middle can know that we will too. And the Africa Bible Commentary, which is a great commentary from scholars and pastors across the continents of Africa, it puts it this way, no one will be harassed, victimized, or despised in this new society. No one will be harassed, victimized, or despised. That's good news for people returning from captivity in Babylon. And isn't that good news for us and for the kinds of things that our society has been wrestling and struggling with over these last many months and many years? Everybody is safe. Everybody belongs. Everybody lives a life that's full of joy. And really, isn't that what we all desire for the places where we live? Don't we all desire to see cities and places where our parents will be safe and well cared for, where our children will grow up carefree and joy-filled? This promise of God isn't just for Jerusalem. It's the promise of God's coming kingdom, which is made for Toronto just as much as it was made for Jerusalem, and it's made for Beijing, and it's made for whatever place that you call home. As to Jonah... God says to us, should I not have concern for that great city of Toronto? And as the people returning from exile, God says to us today, I am very jealous for Toronto. I am burning with jealousy for her. But this vision, it isn't just about young and old. It's not just intergenerational. Not only does God promise that young and old alike will have place and belonging in the city where he dwells, but also that the kingdom where God dwells will be with people that are from many places, many languages, many cultures. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come, God says. Cities have always been places that draw people in. Urbanization is accelerating rapidly in our world, and this has been the trend throughout recorded history. 
And as you get to know people in this city of Toronto and you ask them where they're from, nobody says Toronto. Almost nobody says that they're from here. Most people aren't from here. They've come here for school or for work. They're here for some other reason. And I know some of you who did, were born here and did grow up here are sort of rolling your eyes, but it's true. And this is a beautiful gift from God. It's a foretaste of what's to come. Because none of us were born in the kingdom that God is revealing, that Jesus is inaugurating. We're all coming from different places and cultures and backgrounds, all of us welcomed into the city that God is bringing with him. And so the prophet continues, in those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew and say, let us go with you because we heard that God is with you. All languages, all nations will come together seeking God desiring to be in the place where God is. This is the vision which the New Testament offers of the heavenly city. But there is something of that city that's already present in so many ways in the cities which we now call home. And this city of Toronto, which is often called the most multicultural city in the world, we are uniquely privileged to glimpse this image of the kingdom being made real in our midst. Cities are a place where cultures meet, and God blesses us to be able to see the rich diversity of image bearers of God, because to see that diversity is also to better glimpse God's self, to participate in the exchange of cultures and ideas is to participate in the richness of creation itself. And those who come to the city where God dwells share a common ache which is in every human heart to know God and to enjoy God forever. This is the promise of God's heavenly city. And until that day, it is the longing of every earthly city that we now know. Nestor will say a lot more on this point next week when he talks about serving the world. But loving the city and serving the world are so linked together because in a city like Toronto, the world isn't just across an ocean. It's also across a street. And so here at Knox, we love our city of Toronto because we believe that God loves it, that God has concern for it, that God is jealous for it. We love Toronto in its beauty when it's easy to love, yes. But we also love Toronto in its brokenness. And our love is our care and concern for this city put into action. We genuinely believe that if we're paying attention to this great city, that we'll be able to catch glimpses of that coming kingdom, of that better city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. In the meantime, we love the city by seeking its welfare, by desiring to see it prosper. We want to create opportunities for young and old to be found in community together, where we can celebrate the diversity of the city. And we want to start doing that in our church by creating opportunities for all sorts of people to be found sitting near each other on a Sunday morning or throughout the week. And then we wanted to leave this place to be made true in our streets, in our neighborhoods, at the park. So too, we wanted to celebrate that rich diversity 
of God's image present in every language, nation, and culture by welcoming the refugee, the stranger, the visiting scholar, and the student from out of town. Because we know that this too is a little foretaste of the kingdom that we can look forward to enjoying and we can celebrate it even now. If you've been in our church for a little while, you might know that we value being an intergenerational and an intercultural community. There are young people in our church, and there are churches where there are a lot more young people, and there are a lot more student groups, and that's amazing. But the gift our church has is that there are young people and there are old people. There are young families that you can receive the wisdom of somebody else, and you can mentor somebody else yourself, that you can care for children, and you can be cared for by others, that the church can be a family in the truest sense of that word. And so it's our goal to bring all these things together every Sunday morning and in all other parts of our life together. And we want to do that not only because it reflects the city that's around us, which we love, but we want to do that because we know that God loves these things too, that these things are a good blessing promised by God in the kingdom of heaven, promised here to these exiles returning to Jerusalem and promised to us for this city which we know in Toronto and which we desire as much of that promised blessing, as many glimpses of that goodness as we can have until God fulfills this and every other promise. Young and old, every language, every nation. It's what the city is. It's what the church is. It's true wherever our God is. It is God's presence which makes these things possible. As God moves into the city, it becomes a place of safety and joy a place that's attractive to all people everywhere. And so we move into the city with the presence of God with us, that the joy and promise of the kingdom might be seen a little more clearly because of the love of God which we bring with us as we work and play and as we sit around telling stories in that great city of Toronto where God's care and concern surely rests. May we each and all of us together know and believe that God desires to dwell here in Toronto just as much as in Jerusalem, Tokyo, New York, and Delhi. That God's care and concern is to be with God's people who bear his image and to bring flourishing life to young and old, to gather people from all over to know fullness of joy in his presence. And we get to experience a taste of that today, learning to love this city in still better ways all the time until our love will be made complete in that great city where we will see God's face and the Lord God will shine on us forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we hear in this text and so many other passages throughout Scripture your deep love for your people. And where your people are is so often cities. That you love Jerusalem and you love Nineveh. And we believe you love Toronto. And so we pray for ourselves that you would give us eyes to see this city as you see it. 
that you would help us to celebrate every beautiful thing that's of you in this city, to give you thanks for it, and to anticipate when we will know the fullness of those good blessings. And we also pray that you would give us eyes to see the brokenness and the hurt, the places where you are calling us to move and to act in your compassion and your love that more people would know the full goodness of what you're doing in this place until you bring all things to their end in you. And so begin to work in our minds and our imaginations. Give us eyes to see as you see. We pray this in your name and for the sake of that kingdom which we long to see. Amen. We want to give you time to reflect on how the Spirit might be speaking to you through the scripture, through these words. And so there are a couple of questions that you can think about for a little bit. The first is, what is a good blessing from God that you appreciate about Toronto? And then secondly, how can you act in God's love for the city to help it be more a place of God's visible presence? So we'll give you a couple of minutes to think about that. And then we're going to pray for the city together too. So you can be thinking about things that you'd want to pray for for our city as well. <laughs> 